Hey guys, welcome to the Basking in the Bible podcast. This podcast is all about finding out what the Bible says about a plethora of different topics that are prevalent in today's world and letting the truth and hope of scripture fill your heart and mind in order to encourage you. Well, hello, hello. Welcome to this episode of the Basking in the Bible podcast. I am so excited to bring it to you today. It's been quite a while in the making, so I'm very excited about bringing it to you today and I hope that you guys have not forgotten about the podcast if you have and you're following the podcast that's good because you'll get the notification um but today we are going to be starting reading Anxious for Nothing by Max Lucado we're going to be starting to read it again we if y'all remember we ended after the episode on the reflection questions for chapter five so today we will be reading the chapter six of the book and then on the next in the next podcast episode we will be doing the reflect reflection questions for chapter six i apologize if my um if I like stutter and stumble over my words a lot, um, I'm just getting back in the groove of doing these episodes and I'm not nervous, but I am a little bit tired at the moment. So my brain isn't at its sharpest, but we're going to get through this. And yeah, so let's just start reading chapter six of Anxious for Nothing by Max Lucado. Oh, and also before I start, I would like to Um, mentioned that if you have this book on audiobook or the physical copy that um, I would love for you to read along with me as I read to you guys because there will be some passages of scripture that I probably will not be um, reading all of I might read some of them but I'm probably not going to read all of them so I encourage you to, if you have the book, look at all the passages of scripture and read through those on your own and study those on your own. Okay, so let's read chapter six of Anxious for Nothing by Max Lucado. The judge owned a gated mansion in the Hamptons. His swimming pool was shaped like a dollar sign. He smoked Cuban cigars, wore Armani suits, and drove a 911 Porsche Carrera coupe I hope I'm pronouncing that right, with a personalized license plate that bore the words, My Way. He was on the payroll of every mafia boss and drug dealer on the eastern seaboard. They kept him in office, he kept them out of jail. They gave him votes, he gave them a free walk. Sweet. He was a crook. His mother knew it. His priest knew it. His kids knew it. God knew it. The judge couldn't care less. He never gave God a second thought or an honest person a second chance. According to Jesus, the judge was a scoundrel. He certainly didn't care about the widow. In that same town where in that same town there was a widow who kept coming to this judge saying, Give me my rights against my enemy. And that's from Luke 18.3. We'll call her Ethel. She had a homely look to her, hair tied in a bun, plaid dress, old jogging shoes that appeared to have been rescued from a yard sale. If the judge was a Cadillac, Ethel was a clunker. But but for an old clunker, she had a lot of horsepower. She was determined to escape a certain adversary, a bill collector, angry landlord, oppressive neighbor. Someone had turned against her. Someone had resolved to take her to the cleaners. She pleaded her case and begged for justice. 
No luck. She exhausted every possible solution. Finally, on a burst of chutzpah, she sought the assistance of the judge. Every morning when he stepped out of his limo, there Ethel stood on the courthouse sidewalk. Can I have a minute, your honor? When he exited his chambers, Ethel was waiting in the hallway. Judge, I need your help. At Giovanni's, where the judge ate lunch, she approached his table. Just a few minutes of your time. Just a few minutes of your time. How she got past the maitre d', maitre d', I think that's how you pronounce that, I don't know. The judge never knew, but there she was. Ethel even sat in the front row of the courtroom during trials, holding up a cardboard cardboard sign that that said, can you help me? During his Saturday morning golf game, she walked out of the bushes near the fourth green. Your Honor, I have a request. She tapped him on the shoulder as he walked into the theater. Pardon me, sir, I need your help. Ethel also annoyed the judge's wife. She hounded the judge's secretary. Do something about Ethel, they demanded. She's a pest. For a while, the judge refused to help her. Verse 4 of Luke 18. One day, when they said the coast was clear, he dashed from his office to his limo and jumped in the back seat, only to be confronted by you-know-who. Ethel was in the car. He was stuck. He took one look at her and sighed, Lady, you don't get it, do you? I don't like people. I don't believe in God. There is nothing good in me. Yet you keep asking me to help you. Just a small favor, Ethel asked, holding her thumb a quarter inch from her forefinger. He growled through clenched teeth. Any, anything to be rid of you. What do you want? She spilled out a story that included the words widow, broke, and the phrase eviction notice. The judge stared out the car window as she pleaded for his intervention. He thought to himself, even though I don't respect God or care about people, I will see that she gets her rights. Otherwise, she will continue to bother me until I am worn out. And that's from verses 4 and 5. I will let y'all know from now on whenever I start reading the verses in the Bible versus the um, the words in the book that Max Lucado wrote. When she finally paused to take a breath, he waved her silent. Okay, okay, I'll give you a break. You will? Yes, on one condition. Anything. You get out of my life. Yes, I promise, Ethel beamed. Can I give you a hug? He told her no, but she did anyway. She jumped out of the car and danced a jig on the sidewalk. The dishonest judge rode away grumbling, and we, the readers, look up from Luke's gospel and wonder, what is this story doing in the Bible? A corrupt official, a persistent gadfly, reluctant, I think that's how you pronounce that, reluctant benevolence, no compassion or concern. Is there a message in this account? Is God a reluctant judge? Are we the marginalized widow? Is prayer a matter of pestering God until he breaks down and gives us what we want? No, this is a parable of contrast, not comparison. The judge groused, groused, complained, murmured. Yet even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. Verses 7 and 8. God is not the reluctant judge in this story, and you are not the widow. The widow in the story was at the bottom of the pecking order. She had nowhere to turn, but as a child of the king, you are at the front of the line. You at any moment can turn to God. God doesn't delay. He never places you on hold or tells you to call again later. God loves the sound of your voice, always. He doesn't hide when you call, he hears your prayers. For that reason, Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. With this verse, the apostle calls us to take action, excuse me, to take action against anxiety. 
Until this point, he has been assuring us of God's character, his sovereignty, mercy, and presence. Now it is our turn to act on this belief. We choose prayer over despair. Peace happens when people pray. I like the story of the father who was teaching his three-year-old daughter the Lord's Prayer. She would repeat the lines after him. Finally, she decided to go solo. He listened with pride as she carefully enunciated each word right up to the end of the prayer. Lead us not into temptation, she prayed, but deliver us from email. These days, that seems like an appropriate request. God calls us to pray about everything. The terms prayer, supplication, and requests are similar, but not identical. Prayer is a general devotion. The word includes worship and adoration. Supplication suggests humility. We are the supplicants in the sense that we make no demands, we simply offer humble requests. A request is exactly that, a specific petition. We tell God exactly what we want. We pray the particulars of our problems. What Jesus said to the blind man, he says to us, What do you want me to do for you? Luke 18.41 what would, One would think the answer would be obvious. When a sightless man requests Jesus' help, isn't it apparent what he needs? Yet Jesus wanted to hear the man articulate his specific requests. He wants the same from us. Let your requests be made known to God. When the wedding ran low on wine, Mary wasn't content to say, Jesus, help us. She was specific. They have no more wine. John 2, 3. The needy man in Jesus' parable requested, Friend, lend me three loaves. Luke eleven five. Not just give me something to eat or can you help me out? He made a specific request. Even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed specifically, Take this cup from me. Luke twenty two forty two. Why does this matter? I can think of three reasons. Reason one, a specific prayer is a serious prayer. If I say to you, do you mind if I come by your house sometime? You may not take me seriously, but suppose I say, can I come over this Friday night? I have a problem at work and I really need your advice. I can be there at seven and I promise I will leave by eight. Then you know my petition is sincere. When we offer specific requests, God knows the same. Specific prayer is an opportunity for us to see God at work. That is reason two. When we see him respond in specific ways to specific requests, our faith grows. The book of Genesis relates the wonderful prayer of Abraham's servant. He was sent to Mesopotamia, Abraham's homeland, to find a wife for Abraham's son. How does a servant select a wife for someone? This servant prayed about it. O Lord, God of my master Abraham, he prayed, please give me success today and show unfailing love to my master, Abraham. See, I am standing here beside this spring, and the young women of the town are coming out to draw water. This is my request. I will ask one of them, please give me a drink from your jug. If she says, yes, I ha yes, have a drink, and I will water your camels too. Let her be the one you have selected as Isaac's wife. This is how I will know that you have shown unfailing love to my master. Genesis 24, 12-14 Could the servant have been more detailed? He asked for success in his, in his endeavor. He envisioned an exact dialogue, and then he stepped forth in faith. Scripture says, before he had finished speaking, Rebecca appeared. Verse 15 she said, the word, she said the words, the servant had an answered prayer. He saw God at work. And this is reason three. Specific prayer creates a lighter load. Many of our anxieties are threatening because they are ill-defined and vague. If we can distill the challenge into a phrase, we bring it down to size. It is one thing to pray, Lord, please bless my meeting tomorrow. It is another thing to pray, Lord, I have a conference with my supervisor at 2 p.m. tomorrow. She intimidates me. Would you please grant me a spirit of peace so I can sleep well tonight? Grant me wisdom so I can enter the meeting prepared. And would you soften her heart toward me and give her a generous spirit? Help us have a gracious conversation in which both of us benefit and your name is honored. There, you have reduced the problem into a prayer-sized challenge. 
This is no endorsement of the demanding conditional prayer that presumes to tell God what to do and when. Nor do I suggest that the power of prayer resides in chanting the right formula or quoting some, some secret code. Do not think for a moment that the power of prayer resides in the way we present it. God is not manipulated or impressed by our formulas or eloquence, but he is moved by the sincere, sincere request. After all, is he not our father? As his children, we honor him when we tell him exactly what we need. On my good days, I begin my morning with a cup of coffee and a conversation with God. I look ahead into the day and make my requests. I am meeting with so-and-so on 10 a.m. Would you give me the wisdom? This afternoon, I need to finish my sermon. Would you please go ahead of me? Then if a sense of stress services during the day, I remind myself, oh, I gave this challenge to God earlier today. He has already taken responsibility for the situation. I can be grateful, not fretful. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting is an intentional act to relocate an object. When the disciples prepared Jesus to ride into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, they cast their garments upon the colt, Luke 19.35. The crowd removed the garments off their backs and spread them in the path of Christ. Let this throwing be your first response to bad news. As you sense anxiety welling up inside, you cast it in the direction of Christ. Do so specifically and immediately. Uh, I did a good job of casting my problems in a high school algebra class. My brain scans revealed reveal a missing region marked by the sign intended for algebra. I can remember sitting in the class and staring at the textbook as if it were a novel written in Mandarin Chinese. Fortunately, I had a wonderful patient teacher. He issued this invitation and stuck to it. If you cannot solve a problem, come to me and I will help you. I wore a trail into the floor between his desk and mine. Each time I had a question, I would approach his desk and remind him, remember how you promised you would help? When he said yes, instant gratitude and relief kicked in. I still had the problem, mind you, but I had entrusted the problem to one who knew how to solve it. Do the same. Take your problem to Christ and tell him, you said you would help me. Would you? The Old Testament prophet Isaiah said, put the Lord in remembrance of his promises. Keep not silent. Isaiah 62, 6. God told Isaiah, put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. Isaiah 43, 26. God invites you, yes, commands you to remind him of his promises. Populate your prayer with, you said. You said you would walk me through the waters, Isaiah 43, 2. You said you would lead me through the valley, Psalm 23, 4. You said that you would never leave or forsake me, Hebrews 13, 5. Find a promise that fits your problem and build your prayer around it. These prayers of faith touch the heart of God and activate the angels of heaven. Miracles are set into motion. Your answer may not come overnight, but it will come and you will overcome. Prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. That's Ephesians 6.18 in the message version. The path to peace is paved with prayer. And I'm going to read that again because that's one of the things that I kind of, when I'm reading through this book, because I've read through this book multiple times, I kind of rush through that sentence and skim through it. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, that's actually really deep and meaningful. So I'm going to read it again a little bit slower. It's also one of those tongue twister things that has a bunch of um, the same letter in it. So it's kind of like I'm trying to get through it fast so I don't like stumble over my words. But I'm going to read it one more time slower for you guys so that we can bask in like not really delve in it together, but bask in it and like meditate on it. So... This is the sentence again. The path to peace is paved with prayer. Less consternation, more supplication. Fewer anxious thoughts, more prayer-filled thoughts. 
As you pray, the peace of God will guard your heart and mind. And in the end, what could be better? And that is the end of this chapter. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the Basking in the Bible podcast, and I hope you guys enjoyed this chapter of Anxious for Nothing by Max Lucado. If you did enjoy this podcast episode, then I keep saying podcast and I'm not trying to. If you guys did enjoy this podcast episode, then please follow the podcast on Spotify. I'm trying to find a way to get my podcast on other podcast streaming platforms. I have not done that thus far, but currently it's on Anchor and Spotify. So, um, yeah, I just encourage you to follow the podcast so that you will be updated when I create new podcasts. And yeah, I hope you know that Jesus loves you. And if you don't, I encourage you to open up the Bible and read about all about the God that loves you and how much he loves you. I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast and I will be back soon for the next podcast episode. Bye guys. Thank you.